0: Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 90 of the Bible in 90 Days. That makes it the last episode of this season. It's also the final recap episode. Today, we're recapping Lamentations to Revelation. Due to the number of books embraced in this final recap episode, along with a few concluding remarks at the end, I will not be including scripture quotations in most of the book summaries. By the way, the purpose of this episode is to provide a brief recap of all the books covered in the last 30 days, helping to tie them together. Lamentations is a lament over the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonian army under the command of Nebuchadnezzar. I'll simply share these few lines from the book, capturing the flavor of the text. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow she is, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Ezekiel. His ministry began in the early days of the Babylonian assault on Jerusalem. Some captives had been taken by the Babylonians, and Ezekiel was among them. Ezekiel's ministry began before the final overthrow of the city, and this is reflected in the early chapters as God, through Ezekiel, using strong words and bizarre dramas, sought to spare the people from the looming overthrow of the kingdom ezekiel's ministry shifts as the historical situation changes with the final chapters of his book attempting to capture the imagination of the people through portraying the magnificent future that can be if they choose loyalty to god the timing of the prophet's ministry overlaps that of jeremiah seen in the broad thematic similarity between the two volumes however ezekiel was among the exiles in babylonia while Jeremiah largely remained back in Jerusalem. Ezekiel's ministry also overlapped that of Daniel, another one of the captives in Babylon. Daniel, as a person, was uniquely positioned within the highest levels of the Babylonian government during his entire ministry. His message is also unique as, for the most part, he does not speak to the Hebrew people, but to the power brokers, beginning with Nebuchadnezzar, under whom he served. His book contains essentially two types of content, stories and prophecy. Stories include the fiery furnace and the lion's den. Prophecies include Nebuchadnezzar's dream as well as Daniel's dream of savage beasts. Some chapters combine both elements, story and prophecy, and then one chapter was written entirely by Nebuchadnezzar sharing his personal faith journey. The prophetic elements in Daniel deal almost exclusively with vast historical time periods, depicting the political and religious future, especially the struggle between those political powers and God's people, as well as predicting the coming of the Messiah. That said, much of the prophecy in Daniel concerns non-Israelite nations, such as the Babylonians and Greeks. Hosea, a contemporary of Isaiah's, began his ministry during the reign of the Judean king, Uzziah, and continued through the reign of Hezekiah. He also ministered during the reigns of Jeroboam II and Jehoash, kings of Israel. His message, in fact, focuses almost exclusively on Israel's rebellion and coming judgment. Through the ministry of Hosea, God compares Israel to an unfaithful wife and lists in some detail the ways in which Israel had been unfaithful all the while God had loved her. Joel is a sobering call to repentance and a declaration of imminent judgment. It's also a book of hope and providence. The book even includes some apocalyptic references. Amos provides a solid self-introduction. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Aziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. His prophetic ministry dealt with Damascus and Moab, as well as Israel. Obadiah is a short book of only 21 verses and is a prophecy against Edom. Jonah tells the fascinating story, remember the giant fish, of a rebellious prophet sent to warn the great city of Nineveh in the book, We come to discover, among other things, that this prophet takes great issue with God's love and mercy. Micah's ministry overlaps with Isaiah's, and his prophecies are concerned with both Samaria and Jerusalem. The timing of his ministry puts him before the fall of either the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom of Judah, and his voice speaks strongly against the injustices perpetrated in both kingdoms warning of impending doom and also noting that Israel's rebellion had spread to Judah. Nahum's short prophetic work is targeted squarely at the Assyrian capital, Nineveh, predicting imminent devastating disaster, although notes of God's compassion can also be found. Habakkuk is somewhat unique in that it finds the prophet wrestling with God over his involvement with the nations, especially his apparent approval of or indifference to violence and wickedness. However, the prophet finds resolution in the book and decides to wait patiently and expectantly on God, who is, after all, at work. Zephaniah was a contemporary of Jeremiah, His ministry unfolded during the reign of Josiah. As the kingdom of Israel has already fallen, his ministry is focused on the kingdom of Judah, predicting fast approaching, devastating judgment on the rebellious kingdom while urging repentance. Haggai is a prophet to the returning Israelites after the Babylonian exile and during the rebuilding of the temple. He is a contemporary of Zechariah's and his ministry strengthens and supports the courageous leadership of Ezra, Nehemiah, and others, especially urging the people to complete the rebuilding of the temple. Zechariah, as just noted, is a contemporary of Haggai's, also working in support of Ezra and Nehemiah and other leaders in the work of rebuilding. His ministry speaks not only to the returning exiles, but to God's displeasure with the nations who have abused God's people, declaring judgment against them. Malachi assures God's people of his love, while calling them to account for things like lame and diseased sacrifices or the failure to return tithes and offerings. The book also predicts the ministry of John the Baptist and the coming of the Messiah. Matthew is the first of four gospels recounting the birth, life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Matthew is one of only two gospels that offer a detailed account of Jesus' birth. He, as well, is the only other gospel to provide a genealogy of the Messiah. Matthew's key contribution is his focus on the kingdom that Jesus is establishing, recording Jesus' comprehensive kingdom teaching, often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew also provides significant coverage of Jesus' parables especially as related to the kingdom he records as well jesus strongest most extensive rebuke of the religious elite mark is a succinct account of the story of jesus often employing the word immediately unlike matthew and luke mark does not include jesus birth story but instead begins with the ministry of john the baptist while much of mark's account is brief There are a few stories which he tells with unique detail, one being the story of a demon-possessed man delivered by Jesus. Luke is the other gospel that, like Matthew, gives significant detail regarding the birth of Jesus. His account was written specifically to reinforce the faith of Theophilus. Luke includes not only the story of Jesus' birth, but also that of John the Baptist, including significant details about each child's parents. While Matthew focuses on the kingdom and the myriad prophetic connections between the ancient prophets' messages and Jesus' own life, Luke focuses strongly on the internal evidence of Jesus' life, teachings, and miracles as the evidence that Jesus was and is indeed the Son of God. John writes from a more theological paradigm extensively covering the teachings of Jesus and his often intense engagement with the cocky religious leaders. His book is also unique among the Gospels in its detailed argument that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. Another unique feature is John's reference to the miraculous signs of Jesus' divinity, beginning with the miracle at the wedding in Cana. Among the extensive conversations in the book are Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus one night and the interaction with the woman at the well near Sychar. John also includes Jesus' extensive teaching on the Holy Spirit, as well as his intercessory prayer. Acts, also written by Luke, is the recounting of the early days of the church for his friend Theophilus. The book begins with the account of the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, tells of Saul, the persecutor-turned-apostle, and includes extensive coverage of his ministry. Luke's account follows Paul on the way to Rome, including an impressive shipwreck story. Romans is the first of 13 books accredited directly to Paul, the former Saul, whose conversion story is recounted in Acts. Romans is a letter written especially to Christians in Rome. Paul devotes the first eight chapters of his book to detailed teaching on the gospel. This is followed by a reflection on the place of Jews in the context of the gospel and the church. He also includes significant practical guidance to believers on how to live out their faith. 1 Corinthians is one of two letters written to the church in Corinth. This first letter is hard-hitting, addressing division in the church as well as calling them out for tolerating sexual immorality. The letter is full of practical advice, including how to deal with food offered to idols, how to behave in church, and the place of gifts in the ministry of the church. The letter also finds Paul defending the legitimacy of his ministry. Second Corinthians is a follow-up letter to the first and finds Paul softening his tone a bit, Paul clearly communicating his deep love for the church on more than one occasion in the book or the letter. The letter includes teachings on the ministry of reconciliation and generosity, along with other topics. We also find Paul again dealing with his ministry or defending his ministry, which was under intense attack. Galatians is a letter written to believers in Galatia who were under intense pressure to abandon their faith in Christ and return to a works-based religion, driven by teachers seeking to bring them under Jewish tradition. The book is a concise, powerful argument for salvation through faith in Christ alone. Ephesians is written to believers in Ephesus and focuses especially on God's purpose of bringing about universal unity through Jesus. Philippians is written to the church in Philippi and is not as theologically heavy as Paul's books previously mentioned. Among the highlights of this book is Paul's testimony of his love for Christ as well as his beautiful description of Christ's sacrificial humility and incentive to be like Jesus. Colossians is written to the believers in Colossae and, like Philippians, is not as theologically intense. In it, Paul highlights the preeminence and centrality of Christ. He also talks of his own sufferings for the sake of the gospel and urges the church not to give in to false teachers. 1 Thessalonians is the first of two letters from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. In it, he recounts his labor for them, as well as Timothy's encouraging report about the church. He encourages the church to live a life that pleases God, as well as addresses the return of Jesus. 2 Thessalonians is Paul's follow-up letter to the previous, further dealing with the second coming and encouraging the church to be faithful. 1 Timothy is the first of four letters written by Paul to specific individuals. This one is the first of two written to Timothy, whom Paul considered a son in the faith. The letter is intended to provide a wide range of practical counsel and encouragement to this young, gifted minister. 2 Timothy is a second letter to the young Timothy, focusing especially on reinforcing this young minister's sense of calling and urging his fervent commitment to it. Titus is a brief letter to another worker whom Paul considered a son. The counsel is similar in nature to that in both 1st and 2nd Timothy, offering practical guidance to this Christian leader. Philemon is a brief letter of appeal to a friend of Paul's to whom he was returning the man's runaway slave. Hebrews is a carefully crafted letter written specifically to a Jewish Christian audience. The central argument of the book is that the ministry of Jesus is the natural realization of all that's anticipated in the Mosaic priesthood and tabernacle services. Further, Christ's ministry is far superior on every count. The book is interspersed with direct appeals to the reader as well as significant teaching on faith. The author addresses a few practical matters at the end of the book. James is named for its author and is written to a wide Christian audience. The main focus of the book is on practical faith, from addressing prejudice against the poor to the use of the tongue to the power of greed, with the author also addressing a few additional matters. 1 Peter is named for its author and is also directed at a wide audience. It deals especially with the high calling of the Christian and offers counsel on relating to each other as the people of God. The book also touches on the subject of suffering as believers, ending by exhorting the elders to faithfulness. 2 Peter begins by reinforcing the believer's calling and the dependability of Scripture. This is followed by a large section about false teachers and then treats on the second coming of Jesus. 1 John is the first of a trilogy of letters by John. The first letter is not addressed to a specific audience, but drills down deliberately on the divinity of Jesus, as well as driving home the necessity of living out Jesus' command to love one another. Second John is a brief letter encouraging the readers to love one another. 3rd John is written specifically to Gaius and encourages support for fellow workers, as well as gives advice on dealing with a divisive individual, Diotrephes. Jude is named for its author and written to a general audience. It bears a significant similarity in content to 2nd Peter. Revelation is the final book of the Bible and written by John. It provides prophetic insight into coming events and includes specific counsel to seven churches in Asia Minor, to whom it's addressed. The book focuses strongly on Jesus and the struggle of his church against powerful, antagonistic forces driven by Satan and his agents. It depicts Christ's final victory and the ultimate restoration of earth, on which the redeemed will live together with God in a universe from which evil has been completely banished. Well, that's all for today until season two. Yes, season two is already in the works. What will the next season look like? In short, season two will specifically be designed to inspire, support, and facilitate the reading of the entire Bible in 90 days. It will consist of a minimum of 27 episodes over 14 weeks the first of which is planned for release in the last half of December. The first episode will be a how to read the Bible in 90 days guide. This will be followed by two kinds of episodes released weekly for the first 13 weeks of the new year. The first kind of episode will be a reader's guide to that week's reading, addressing themes to look for, highlighting important facts about individual books, etc. The second kind of episode will be theological in nature addressing thematic topics such as the inspiration of scripture the problem of evil the nature of human freedom etc these episodes will help to illuminate the macro narrative in which the reader finds themselves as they move through the text each episode will run close to 40 minutes and the intent of both will be to provide supportive content for reading or listening to scripture over the 90 day reading plan. With that, I'll see you in season two, if not before. Until then, may the good news of God's magnificent love illuminate your life and the places your life touches. Amen.